This is uh, an amazing season for us, isn't it? Just encourage you to continue to see the opportunities in the midst of this. We've taken the opportunity to jump into a message series out of a book in the Bible called Esther. And so as you um, are getting settled in there, I invite you to grab your Bible, whether it's paper Bible or digital Bible. Find Esther. It's the book that's two books to the left of the book of Psalms. So Psalms is right in the middle. Then you'll get to Job. If you go backwards, then you'll get to Esther. And uh, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 today. Well, let's get into uh, part 2 of this message series for such a time as this. Last week, we we met our main characters. We met King Xerxes. We learned that he uh, got rid of his wife and looked for a new wife, and he found Esther to be his queen. This all took place in the Persian Empire, uh, one of the great empires of the ancient world. And uh, Xerxes was a, just kind of a powerful, effective uh kind of ruler, governor over, over all these nations, but, uh, you know, they, they just conquered places and took them and took them. Well, hundred years prior to our story, story, Babylon had done the same thing and had conquered, uh, Jerusalem and moved the Jews, many of them to different, moved them to Babylon and different places in the empire where they had settled. Many of them had gone back and reestablished the temple in Jerusalem and reestablished the nation of Israel. But many of the Jews stayed where they were, including the the people in our story. Mordecai and Esther are two of our main characters. They were Jews, but they lived in Persia. They had Persian names. They were kind of functionally Persian citizens, and yet these were Jewish people. And Esther rises to become the queen because of her great beauty. Mordecai has a position of in the bureaucracy of the of the administration, and they are doing just fine. But what happens is there's a guy named Haman that gets appointed to be the prime minister. And Haman hates Mordecai and he especially hates the Jews. And he has kind of used his uh, kind of trickery to get the king to sign an edict that on a day and 11 months in the future, all Jews are can be legally slaughtered. They're going to give permission on one day. Everybody can attack every Jew, kill them and take their stuff. Well, this is a kind of a devastating edict, and that's where we pick up our story today. We're going to begin in chapter 4 of Esther. And it goes like this. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. And he went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. And when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. So this guy goes out, this messenger on, you know, on Esther's behalf, goes to Mordecai and says, hey, here's, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And he tells her the whole story of the edict that's come down, that all the Jewish people in the entire empire are, are in peril. 
And so he's, Mordecai tells Hathach, he says, hey, tell Esther to go to the king and plead for mercy. So he goes back, he gets the, the message to, to Esther. And Esther says, listen, in verse 11, all the king's officials and the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me uh, in, in 30 days. So he goes back to Mordecai and tells the message. And then Mordecai, this is a really a key moment in this whole book. Mordecai says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you'll escape. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief will come from, uh, for the Jews will come from another place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. And then Esther sends a message back to Mordecai. He says, fine, gather the people and pray and fast for three days. And I'll go to the king, even if it means I will die. And so uh, that's what happens. Esther chapter five, that's kind of chapter four. And then we move into chapter five and uh, Esther, she, she gets all dressed up and she takes a chance and she goes to see the king. And sure enough, the king extends the scepter out to her, welcomes her into his presence. Um, and, 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 and she's, she's afraid, but she has a plan. She goes in with a plan and the verse three of chapter five, the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What's your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. He's in a very generous mood, King Xerxes, at this moment. And she says, I'd like you and, and Haman, the prime minister, to come to a banquet. Just the two of you. Come to a banquet that I've prepared. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And so sure enough, they go to this banquet. And um, and then while they're there and they're drinking wine and having a nice time, they say, okay, Queen Esther, now tell me what you really wanted. What's your real request? And she says, my real request as you come back to a banquet tomorrow. Well, they say, okay, we'll come back tomorrow. Now, let me take you to verse 9 of chapter 5. Haman, it says, was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went home. Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. And Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she's invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. And he added, but all this is worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting there at the palace gate. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And this pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. Well, he's got a pretty vicious wife. He came up with such a terrible idea. But you can know for sure that things are looking very bad, not only for the Jews, but for, for Mordecai in particular. Now, why would we turn to this chapter and these chapters in such a, a time as this? I would say it's because I think these can actually answer some questions for us about how do we confront a crisis? How do we, you know, handle impossible problems in our own life? And Esther's response to the situation gives us some clues as to how we can do this. Maybe you're in a situation, you're butting heads in a relationship in your life, or you've hit the wall financially and you're worried about that. Maybe, you're, maybe your health's at a critical point in your life. Maybe you've got an impossible boss, 
Or maybe you've, you, you know, you just, you just can't get through to one of your kids or to one of your parents and you're really frustrated. What do you do when things look impossible? Well, the way Esther handled this whole situation, I think gives us some insight into the challenges we face. After all, and here's your spoiler alert, Esther is gonna save the day. It's gonna turn out okay. That's why the book is written. We have this kind of whole story, but you know, it's a, this whole book is a picture of salvation. God's salvation for us. That we, you and I, we were in an impossible place in our sin, separated from God, headed for sure destruction. Until Jesus stepped in and saved the day. He is our redeemer. The one who bought us back. Who brought us back from sure destruction. Who spared our life. And so that's why it's this picture for us. But there are some helpful steps here in in our own challenges. And, and, And I want to start with this. That first of all, I think it's helpful to recognize there are some stages of crisis response. Stages of crisis. You know, you go through the stages of grief. We talk about that. Well, when facing a problem, our own response to problems or crises goes something like this. The first, at least the way it did for Esther, is is ignorance. We don't know there's a problem. We think everything is fine. Esther is living in the palace. She's completely isolated from her own people and from the problems. She doesn't even. She's not even watching the news. She hasn't even turned on, turned on CNN or Fox News or whatever station you watch. She hasn't even turned that. She's clueless as to what's happening, and she does not know that her people and she herself are in are in terrible peril. And oftentimes, there's a problem developing, and we're clueless. We have no idea. And, and, and it's really important that we listen when someone's trying to tell us, hey, there's a problem. There's a problem here. Um, you know, it's like if you've got your car, sometimes your car is trying to tell you there's a problem and you, you just ignore it. You think maybe the light will just go off by itself. Maybe that squealing noise will just just magically disappear if I just ignore it long enough. I'm telling you, don't don't ignore. But that's the first step in a problem because we don't know Well, there is to know. Second step, then, is avoidance. So first is ignorance. The second one is avoidance. Once Esther became aware that something was wrong, her first instinct was to just try to make it quickly go away. She bundles up some clothes and sends them out to Mordecai. Hey, could you put on some clean clothes and stop all this public display of of your distress? Now, obviously, the issue was not that Mordecai didn't have clothes to wear, and she knew that, but Esther was avoiding the truth that something was seriously wrong. You know, I, I would say this is a big one in marriages and uh, you know, married couples. You can look, look across the couch at each other right now and, and nod with me on this one because, you, you know, sometimes you, you know there's a problem in your marriage. There's something you got to deal with. But rather than doing the painful work of addressing it and working through it, we avoid it. We watch more TV or we take on a new project or we throw ourselves into work or into our parenting or you go hang out with your mom all the time, right? I've seen couples who will who will choose to have a child or adopt a child uh, as a way of avoiding their problems. Listen, don't do that. Don't don't fall for that. Avoidance is dangerous. So there's ignorance, then there's avoidance, then the next one is denial. This is where Esther's at, and, and it's similar to avoidance, but it's a denial of personal responsibility. Right? Mordecai appealed to Esther so that she would appeal to the king, but she claimed to be powerless. She's like, Hey, listen, I can't go without being invited, and I haven't been invited in like a month. I mean, there's, I, I just, you know, there's nothing I can do. I mean, I'd, you know, I would if I could, but I just, sorry, I, I can't do this. 
and we might see a problem in our lives. Maybe it's, again, it's in a relationship or it's, or it's an addiction or it's some community social issue. Uh, it's a workplace breakdown. And we might be quick to say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I, I can't help. I can't, you know, it's not my job to figure it out. I mean, there's other people who, who are responsible. I mean, I didn't start the problem. Whatever excuse we have, and we're in a place of denial, denying our personal responsibility. I was reading about uh, a prominent German pastor, a guy named Martin Niemöller. He was a, he was a Lutheran pastor in Germany uh, leading up to uh, the time of the Second World War. He's famous for a poem that includes the quote, and you've heard it, right? First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out, right? Then they, they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. You're probably familiar with that. Well, Niemöller is the guy that wrote that. And he said this in a, in a post-war speech in 1946. He commented about about the church's silence during the Holocaust. And he said this. He said, we preferred to keep silent. We are certainly not without guilt or fault. And I ask myself again and again, what would have happened if in the year 1933 or 34, 14,000 Protestant pastors in all Protestant communities in Germany had defended the truth until their deaths. I can imagine that perhaps 30,000 or 40,000 Protestant Christians would have had their heads cut off, but I can also imagine that we would have rescued 30 to 40 million people because that's what it's costing us now. That denial of responsibility led to such tragedy Denial in a crisis is dangerous. Don't fall into that trap either. So we've got ignorance, we've got avoidance, we've got denial, and then finally, you know, we, we've got a, a, a point where Esther sort of turns a corner. And this stage is willingness. Willingness. Now this is a powerful moment, I think, for all of us in crisis response or dealing with an impossible problem. Mordecai pointed out two crucial truths. He said, first, Esther, you're not going to escape this. You might be in the palace, but when this happens... They're going to come for you too. So don't kid yourself. You're not, you're not getting out of this either. And secondly, who knows but that you've be, become queen for such a time as this. This might be the very moment. This may be the reason why you're the queen. And Esther responded in that moment positively, right? Calling the Jewish people to fast and to pray for three days. And she said, I will go to see the king and if I must die... I must die. Wow. That's a moment of willingness. But the final stage of crisis response or dealing with a difficult problem is where something happens. And we call this action. Right? Ignorance, avoidance, denial, willingness, action. All the other steps are are pretty easy. But this is where we say, hey, I'll do what I can about the problem, even if it's going to cost me something. And it's... It's easy to be willing, for sure. You know, this week, for example, I had a friend who said, Hey, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. And I said, Oh, could you write the sermon this week? And he laughed at me and he rejected my offer. I can't believe it, right? Obviously, I was, I was joking, but expressing willingness is easy. Action's hard. But the trigger for Esther's action was Mordecai's challenge. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Verse 14 of chapter 4. How about you? Are you in a, for such a time as this moment? 
When you think about your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, your community, are you in a, for such a time as this moment, is this something God's been preparing you for and now's your time to step up? So once you've worked through all the crisis response stages, right? Ignorance, avoidance, denial, willingness, action, all of Esther's stages, you're going to discover, discover something else. And it's something that Esther learned, and it's this, that no one succeeds alone. I love this. No one succeeds alone. If you're familiar with, say, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know that the, the hero is a little hobbit named Frodo. And um, But you'll, you'll know that he would not have succeeded without, what, his help from his best friend, Sam. Most epic stories feature a, a hero of some kind, but that hero almost always needs a guide to save the day. Usually they're, or oftentimes, they're even kind of a hidden character. But Luke had Obi-Wan, if... According to my sons, the only episode that really matters is episode four. Right? Superman has Lois. Neil has Trinity. Iron Man has Pepper. Every hero's got their guide, the one who comes alongside them. Esther is the hero of this book, but she couldn't have been without Mordecai as her guide. Well, maybe you could say Mordecai was the hero and Esther was the guide, but Esther's the one up front. Whatever you're dealing with right now, relationships, workplace, conflict, marriage, challenges, financial challenges, addiction. Listen, don't expect to resolve this on your own. You cannot do this by yourself, most likely. You're going to need help, a guide, a companion. It might be a counselor. It might be a small group. It might be a FaceTime with your, your brother or your sister. No one succeeds alone. Certainly, it's time in God's Word, the Bible... It's an ongoing conversation with Jesus. It's okay to ask for help. Listen, it's okay to ask for help, whatever you're dealing with today. I heard from a counselor this week that she's as busy as she's ever been. And I think that's good. People are reaching out and getting help. No one succeeds alone. And and you, you might feel like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I got nothing going on. You might be the help. You might even be invisible, but you're essential in someone's life. You might be the help or you might be the one needing it. No one succeeds alone. And the last thing to mention about confronting problems and crises is that Esther demonstrates patience is better than a sledgehammer. Usually. Patience is better than a sledgehammer. Esther is remarkable, isn't she? This is a serious and an urgent problem. It's life and death. And yet she took a very patient approach. Fast for three days, she told Mordecai. Prayer has to be first. Then she invited the king and Haman to the banquet. But she didn't bring up the problem right away. In fact, she was creating a bit of a trap for Haman. And we're going to learn more about that in the chapters to come. So the next day, there'd be another banquet. And when we get... Uh, on, we're going to see how she broaches the subject. And I know in my life, I've often been maybe too forceful when dealing with a problem, when, when a little more subtlety would help. You, you win your boss or your workplace adversary over with, with some patience. Or in, or in a marriage, remember that, that you didn't get into the problem with one conversation, you're not going to get out of it with one, pro, with one conversation. You didn't get into it quickly, it may take some time to get out of it and get through it. Patience is better than a sledgehammer. And even then, you're not going to succeed alone. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and prepare to lead us in a closing song.
The best news of all today is that you never need to be alone. You don't need to be alone. Even if you're isolated today, these weeks in your home, you're spending a lot of time by yourself, you're fighting those waves of fear and panic, and I'm telling you, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. He's present there with you. You see, every one of us faced an impossible problem, a crisis of our own. And that was the burden of sin. Sin separates us from God and, and puts us on a path of sure destruction, a life, an eternal life separated from God. But God made a way for us to be united with Him to resolve that problem. When He sent Jesus His Son, He sent Jesus who died on the cross for our sin. That's what we're celebrating this week. Palm Sunday, the reason we call it Palm Sunday is this is the day that, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. The crowds were shouting. They're hailing, hailing him. They were excited and they, they, they placed palm branches in his way and they waved the palm branches as a way of celebrating this arriving king. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem, he, he entered this last week of, of ministry and confrontations. But as the week progressed, we celebrated communion today. He had the Last Supper with his, his disciples. He shared a communion, I mean, a, a, a Passover meal together. And in that meal, he said, this body, this bread is my body, is broken for you. And this, this wine is, is my blood poured out for you. And from there, he went to the, he went to the garden to pray. And there he was arrested. He was tried. He was tortured. And finally, he was crucified on the cross with the, why, why did that, all that need to happen? It's because you and I were sinners. And our sin is an offense to God. It's a separation. And it deserves death. It needs to be, it deserves punishment. And so God allowed Jesus to go into our place, onto the cross, suffering the punishment that we deserved. He was taken down from that cross. He was placed in a, in a tomb. And it seemed like all was lost, that all was over, that our hero was dead and gone. But on day three, what we celebrate next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus left the tomb alive. He ministered to his disciples. He taught them, explained what had happened. He returned to heaven. And the day is coming when Jesus will return to us. And he'll gather all those who have faith in him. So the Bible teaches us that it's, it's when we put our trust in Jesus Christ to forgive our sin and to give us eternal life. That we're saved, we're redeemed, we're bought back. He's the hero that takes us out of the impossible problem of our sin. And I want you to know that today. That's a message for you. Wherever you're at today, that's a message for you. God loves you. He's made a way for you to have a relationship with Him so that you don't have to live in fear, so that you can live in peace instead of anxiety. It's not difficult. It's sometimes here what we call the ABC. It just is a simple prayer that says, A is to admit to admit I'm a sinner and that I need saving. B is to believe, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died for your sin and He rose again. And, and C is to commit, my commit my life to Jesus, to follow Him all my days. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're, you're in a place where you are recognizing that you don't know God. You don't have a relationship with Him. If you were to die today, you don't know that you would go to be with God forever. Maybe you're wondering... If I should get sick, what would happen? I want you to know that you can have peace if you've trusted Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner in your need of saving. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for your sin and rose again. And commit your life to follow Him 
all your days. Let's just have a little prayer together. God, I thank you for this message out of Esther. I thank you that this woman was willing to confront a problem. She got there slowly, but but she did it. She realized she couldn't do that alone. She was patient. But God, you've been patient with us. You invite us to trust Jesus so that we can you can lead us out of our crisis of separation from you. Dead in our sin. So that we can know you personally. So God, I just pray that for anyone that's struggling today to trust you, that this would be their moment of decision, moment of salvation, to trust in you. God, we thank you for your, um, for your work of saving us through Jesus Christ on the cross. Nothing that we've done, but everything that you've done. We trust in you today. In your name we pray. Amen.